Hello guys, gals, and everyone in between, and welcome to the Right Podcast. Uh, my name is Harriet Drake, and I'm coming back at you from my bedroom in the attic to talk about writing, specifically to continue the conversation we were having last week about character traits and character flaws. Uh, so last week I left y'all off with some notes about character traits, how to make them believable, what makes them quote-unquote good, all of that kind of interesting nitty-gritty stuff. Uh, and I mentioned contrasting traits, uh, like, you know, they, your character wants to be president of the United States, but has a crippling fear of public speaking, uh, and how those are kind of necessary to characters in order to make them believable. Uh, and I also very briefly at the end mentioned, um, consistency in those traits and how vital it was. And that is what we'll be talking about this week, those contrasting traits, or even just consistency in traits that your characters might have. Uh, to do this, of course, I will be referring to the character chapter in the Gotham Writers Workshop book. Um, so Gotham Writers Fiction, I think is what it's called, or Gotham Writers Workshop and then Writing Fiction, something like that. Um, it is, I believe, the third, maybe second chapter in the book and is one of my favorite of chapters about character it's very all-encompassing and gives you a good base it's a little dense kind of hard to get through sometimes um, but still kind of gives you a good thing to go off of so we will be using that and i will be referencing that quite a bit um, throughout this so i'll give you a overview of kind of what i mean in terms of consistency in character traits and then i will use examples from my own works to kind of further talk about it i could use those examples um, that i'm you know so so often using from YA literature, children's literature, but I decided to instead go with something that I kind of directly know and can directly understand and elaborate on. As we go in, I want to say very quickly that I do have a headache <laughs> for some ungodly reason, uh, and I have taken something for it, but it is making me very scatterbrained, um, and so I might be a little more disorganized than usual, if you can believe it. But hopefully that should start to kick in fairly soon. Uh, and with that, let's get started. So we talked about um, kind of contrasting traits last week and how they will make a character more believable. Um, so contrasting traits are human. They are something that you see a lot in people, not just the example of, you know, wanting to be president, but not being able to speak in front of people. But even so much as just like wanting to be everybody's friend and to be kind to everybody and let everybody feel like they are valid and important when they're around you, but also just talking over everybody um, and kind of trying to be the biggest person in the room. So there's things like that, little contrasting traits that make you a human and that will make your character seem a lot more human. Consistency across those traits and the rest of the traits are going to be good practice. So it is something that you will have to kind of, again, practice at and get better at as you go, but is something that will elevate the characters and continue to make them more believable. What do I mean by that? So I don't mean consistency in that like every single trait that your character has like contracts, contrasts, um, that there's something wrong and that they don't all mesh together. That is absolutely not what I mean. I mean that there's always that glimmer of that trait that maybe they're trying to hide or maybe they don't quite like. There's always something just below the surface um, letting us know either their true intentions 
or that like overarching flaw or trait that they have, even if it's just, you know, again, a glimmer, it just appears sometimes, it doesn't appear all the time, or, you know, you write scenes where it specifically is showcased and kind of jumps out at everybody. That is not necessary. You know, you don't need to have entire scenes dedicated to uh, whatever kind of trait or flaw that character might have, but it will, it's necessary for us to see it, especially if there is some kind of a reveal or if uh, it really kind of adds up to the plot and is a part of the peak of the story. So, like I said, there are those two things that it's super important to kind of keep in mind consistency if there is a reveal or if it's just very vital to this portion or this plot of the story. And I'll kind of dive into those a little bit. Um, first, of course, is there a reveal? Uh, a reveal of who they are or of their true intentions? Is there some kind of a reveal? Do we see that at some point? If so, then lay the eggs for it. Let us see kind of as we go throughout, maybe not obviously at first, but when we look back where that was coming from and how it was at play throughout the rest of the story. It's not a light switch, you know, the reveal, the, the flick, um, the sudden, you know, realization that this character is bad or that, um, you know, they murdered their family. Like, that's not a light switch. It shouldn't just flip on. There should be things that when we go back and kind of look at it that we can see even a little bit. Again, those don't have to be obvious. You should not be giving away that reveal super early on by trying to keep the character consistent. In fact, you should not be doing that. But we should be able to see that there is something in the character that could lead them to do that throughout the entire story. Again, it does not have to be obvious. It should be a glimmer. So, uh, for example, again, we'll just go with the, the example that they use in Gotham and the kind of example that I had just run with. Um, so let's say the character, um, you know, murdered his wife and his children. Let's say he did that. Uh, maybe that's something that we reveal towards the end of the thing. It's not something we jump into knowing maybe, you know, he and his wife are estranged. Um, and we know that there's that estrangement and we know that there's, you know, something wrong, but we don't know how wrong exactly it is. Um, you know, we should not find on the 10th page of the story um, that he's murdered his wife and we just completely saw it out of left field and when we look back to see if there were any indicators or thought back about any kind of indicator there was nothing we should be surprised of course that he did murder his wife otherwise you know the story might not be as grabby and fun and suspenseful um, but we should see when we do look back maybe some red flags that that was going to happen so for example in the Gotham book um, the man mentions that he, you know, I think would do anything to see his children again. Red flag. Maybe he mentions he hates his wife and he, if he ever sees her again, he might kill her. Even if it's offhanded, something like that can really kind of cement and help. Uh, maybe he has a volatile temper and just kind of goes off at somebody. Uh, maybe he starts to just a little bit shift how he interacts with women and how he treats women based on what his wife is doing. So things like that, they can be small things, minor things, they don't have to be big things. Because again, we still want to be surprised at the end, but we do want to be able to kind of see where that was building up. So I've got a quote from the Gotham book that I wanted to use directly. This is on page 33. 
And it says characters can do something out of character as long as you show the reader a glimmer of that tendency ahead of time. I could not read my own handwriting. I'm so sorry. Uh, so yeah, that kind of summarizes all of it. We can, the character can do something that is unexpected, kind of out of left field, out of character, uh, as long as we can see that throughout the entire story. So if there is that reveal at the end where they are the bad guy, or they are, I don't know, a missing, the missing child the whole time, or something, let us see the glimmer of that. If they know, let us kind of see it. That is going to be something that I talk about later on. I'll probably talk about it way later in the episode, but I'm going to look specifically at a review like that and how to kind of thread that all together and try to give some examples of that. Um, but that is mainly what the Gotham chapter was talking about, or the section. There's a section on consistency. And that's kind of what it's talking about, that your character is not Jekyll and Hyde, um, and that there shouldn't be that quick flip, that quick kind of switch from one thing to the other. We should be able to kind of see the layers for it. And the layers will also give a lot of um, human complexity to the character as well. So if we can see those layers, that is even better. But consistency does not just apply to that reveal. Uh, it also can apply to the rest of your characters and should apply to the rest of your characters. Um, so it will allow us to see how complex your character really is and allow us to kind of grow and adapt with them. So for example, um, you can't spring a totally new trait or motivation on the readers. Uh, you could, it might not work out well. Uh, so like we, you know, read this book or this story and the whole time we know that this character is nostalgic and loves to kind of look back on things with a lot of fondness, whether it's his memories or the memory of other people. He just is a nostalgic person, a sentimental person. And let's say uh, all of a sudden, you know, he passes um, a library, a bookstore he used to go to with his grandma. So he passes by that bookstore. Um, his grandma has long since been dead. He has not been to that bookstore in forever. And he just keeps walking. Or he even crosses to the other side of the street. Uh, or he, I don't know, thinks about burning it down. Uh, why are these characters always so evil? Um, but either way, he just barrels past the bookstore and does not stop to look at it, does not even think about it, and in fact looks at it and says, I'm going to avoid that and not think about it and avoid thinking about it. What? <laughs> why would he do that? What, what, where does that come from? Um, what is that explanation? What, where is that? It would be especially worse if we got no explanation, if he just kept walking and then the rest of the 10 page story was about him being nostalgic about everything else. Like why does not, why doesn't he like that bookstore? What's going on? Again, glimmers. <laughs> Let us see a glimmer of what's going on and what is kind of happening inside their head, what that trait does to them and how they are dealing with that trait. The way that they do that and the way that you show that doesn't always have to be creative. Uh, you know, you can just kind of show an interest in something. Um, so they don't have to, I know there's a specific example I wanted to use about, um, oh, I think I remember, I think it was, um, this dude who works in like marketing or business or something like very straightforward, um, long hours, maybe not super fun, kind of draining probably, um, writes poetry one day just like starts to write poetry and it's not very good um which is fine 
poetry. It doesn't always have to be good. Um, but it's really not very good. But he keeps writing, it keeps writing, it keeps writing. Where does that come from? Why does he do that? You can't just spring that, that poetic side of him on us like that. We have to see that there's a glimmer of it somewhere. Whether it's like stopping and looking at a rose and trying to think of the perfect word to encapsulate how pretty that rose is. Or he sits down and writes out his grocery list uh, every day or every time he has to go to the grocery store in like a really nice journal with a super nice fountain pen. We have to see glimmers of something. We have to see that interest in writing somewhere in him. So that way when it does happen, we're not super, super surprised. So I think that's what I meant. Um, they don't always have to be like creative glimmers or something like that, but you, they do have to show an interest or show that trait somehow in their kind of day-to-day -day life. You can do this via dialogue. You know, do they say things in passing to somebody like the example of the father from the Gotham book? Is it in action like the young man who walked by the bookstore with his grandmother and didn't stop? You know, all the things in a story can kind of show that potential, that glimmer. All things are on the table in terms of showcasing this character trait. You might be asking yourself, how do I do that? <laughs> how exactly do I find that character trait and consistently show it throughout this story? Or for the unfortunate ones of us, this novel. How do I make that consistent? There's lots of different ways to do it. And like I say every week, this will get easier as you go along. I know you're all so tired of hearing me say that. But really, it will get easier. In fact, you will do it and not realize that you're doing it. It happens. It's a thing. I've done it. I literally did it just the other day with a character. I said, oh wait, this is something that I have put into every scene that this person is in and made really, really like the center point of one, maybe two scenes. Hmm. Hmm. This is the thing that I need to thread through most, if not all of these. This is his trait. This is his flaw. This is the thing about himself that he tries to hide. Great. Now I'll go back and I'll make sure I add it in there. So I've already kind of answered that question, right? What are they hiding? Are they hiding something? It can be a secret, so that way they would have that big reveal. It can be a flaw that they don't like, so that way they are consistently battling against something. What flaw or trait? Like, what is it? What exactly is it? What are they hiding? Is it a flaw? Is it a trait? Do they, do they think it's good? Do they think it's bad? How do they show it? All right. How does that trait or that flaw come across to others? How do they um, kind of try to hide it? How do they portray it? What, what does it look like? How is it tangible? And it can be tangible in a bunch of different ways and shown in a bunch of different ways. It doesn't have to be something that's verbal. It can be something that's a little more passive. It can be in action. It can be even like a subconscious thing, like with the poet, dude. Like, he always likes to be surrounded by books. Like, always. And he just writes everything down, even in a digital age, where it's often easier for us to take readable, legible notes on our computer. He likes to take handwritten notes. Things like that. Just subconscious things. Don't be afraid, as well, to let it write itself. So that's definitely something that will happen that I'm going to talk about in just a second. But like I said, I wrote a character. They had this thing that they did all the time. And that was the thing that I said, oh, wait, this is his thing. Don't be afraid to let that happen. You know, it might spring on you. Like I've said, characters make 
decisions and choices for you. And you shouldn't battle against it, especially if it's something like that. If it doesn't seem like it's going to add up and be consistent, maybe take a second and stop and look back at it. So I will run through that one more time in more of a kind of spark notes format to give you a quick rundown of what I had meant by consistency as we go through. I know there were sections where I was like trying to piece all of my thoughts together. So they ran together and got a little, little muddy. Um, so contrasting traits are important, but making them consistent and threading them throughout is just as important. It will make them even more human and give that kind of complexity to your character. If there is a reveal of in their past or true intentions or anything like that, you've got to see that glimmer as we go throughout. You can't just, you know, tell us that this character is a murderer. We have to be able to kind of see, even in minute little ways, how they could be a murderer. It's not just a light switch. You have to show us. You have to kind of thread it through. If your character is kind of complex, which they should be, uh, let us see it. You can't just spring a new trait or a new idea on us. We have to see, again, those glimmers of that want. If they want to be a poet, uh, we have to see glimmers of that kind of want, that desire in their day-to-day -day life. Again, these don't have to be super obvious. In fact, you know, the reveal of them being a murderer or of them writing a poem should sort of be a little bit of a surprise sometimes. If you want it to be a surprise, perfect. It can be a surprise. But you still have to thread those little glimmers, that idea of what they're doing, of what they want throughout the story. There's a number of ways to do this, of course. Um, so you need to think about what they're hiding, what the reveal is going to be, and how they hide it, how they portray it, and how it kind of jumps out and might pop up in different scenes. Again, you don't need to write scenes that will directly relate to this trait um, or reveal even, but it's, it, it is good practice and it is important to kind of thread it throughout. Um, don't be afraid to let it write itself and to just kind of go with what the character is doing. So with all of that, with that kind of base information laid out, I'm going to jump into some examples, um, one of which I have I think I've talked about both of these before. One um, has not been on my brain for quite some time, um, but recently just like came back into my life and I love him. And then the other one is uh, my boy, my idiot, my pretentious asshole. I love him. Um, but first we're going to talk about Leo. So uh, I wrote three real scenes with Leo's flaws before I knew what it was, before he knew what it was, uh, before I was able to contextualize how important it was to the story. So some background, Leo is a character in a story about him and his former girlfriend and they began dating after they met in a bar his parents owned where he was playing the piano. Uh, they began working together, they're both bartenders by training, and they had this pretty good relationship. They dated about a year and a half, got a cat, had an apartment, uh, and were fairly happy. But Leo has a very, very bad temper. M has also got issues and she is aware that she contributes to everything, but 
Leo's kind of got a temper. He's a little bit arrogant, a little bit full of himself. He is an artist. I feel like I can give him that hubris because uh, I also, A, have a bad temper and B, am an artist. So like, therefore I'm a little bit full of myself. It's fine. Um, and he, at some point, lets that anger just kind of get the better of him. And it uh, really ruins a lot of things for him, especially with him and M. Uh, in fact, they have a fight one night while they're working, and it's so bad that they break up on the spot, and he tells M to get out of his house, leave the apartment, all of that good, horrible, awful stuff. Um, so I only, uh, like, after I reflected on everything, realized what... I, I, that, I had to write a ton of stuff. Like, not a ton. I had to write... 10, 12 scenes, um, two of which, again, highlight, three actually highlight Leo's temper, um, and had to be away from them for around six months to realize, like, oh, wait, that's important. That is something that I need to thread through all of these because it is integral to Leo. Um, it is something that he is not proud of, and it's something that he tries to kind of work on, but again, gets the better of him sometimes, um, and something that is very, very important to he and M's storyline. But once I saw what it was and kind of why that flower got trait is so damaging or important to him, it was easier to add and to write and kind of go back and find. So Leo is one of those examples where A, like, I don't need to be worried about keeping it a secret or still, you know, adding in details that are small enough so that my audience will be surprised. Like, they... They should know that he has that temper. They should see it. Uh, they should not know it's as bad <laughs> as it might be, but they should know that Leo has that potential uh, and that being angry is something that he desperately tries to not do. Um, and that maybe M helps him with. So it's something that is easier to thread through because the threads can be a little thicker. They can be a little more bunchy. They don't have to be as precise as perfect. Um, and it's one of those traits that I saw later on as well. So Leo's anger is something that I have been working recently to add into things uh, and just try to kind of cement. And I'm just figuring out as well how it appears, when it appears, and what it looks like, and what it looks like to other people as well. So in certain situations, it might be him being a little pretentious, you know? His parents own some restaurants, some bars, uh, so they're kind of important where they're from, uh, have a little bit of money. Um, he, at one point in a scene, uh, tells someone who works at an animal shelter that his mother is the head of the board and she would be hearing about their behavior. Um, I mean, they were being a jackass. They honestly deserved it, but still he was angry and he was like, what am I, what's the best thing to do? That is the best thing to do. When he's already kind of tired, already kind of fed up with some stuff. What does that anger look like? Uh, it's less controlled lashes out a little easier and almost turns into a kind of disregard for others and their feelings sort of a little bit kind of it's that's that one's a little harder to explain a little harder to get a handle on uh when he's around his parents what does that look like um most importantly what does it look like when he is mad when he's angry feeling like he needs to fight somebody uh and he's with M, his girlfriend his ex-girlfriend what does that look like? The difficult thing with that trait as well is that Leo does genuinely care about 
all of the people in his life. He wants everyone to kind of do well, be happy, um, but he's got this temper and he'll just like lash out. So that is going to be kind of that struggle is maintaining those, which is also, of course, a struggle for him. So at all times, I will have to keep that anger somewhere, even if it's a little bit, even if it's just how he is hiding it and what he does to kind of compensate for that. Um, and I, but I will also have to keep that concern for others and what's going on throughout it. So that is how to kind of work with the trait a little bit, I think. Um, some real world example, basically, you know, I had to like write and then find it. I had to locate it. It didn't just jump out. It's not something I went into the character with. It's something that I kind of looked at and thought about afterwards. Uh, and after I did, of course, now I have to think, how does this work? How does it look with other traits? Kind of add it in places. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, I feel like I'm going to start babbling a little too much soon. So I'm going to move on from that and move to kind of a reveal. So how do you reveal a character's true intentions, their true thoughts, kind of what they want, um, or their real identity? For that, I'm going to turn to my boy, um, Avery Atticott, Dr. Avery Atticott, PhD, of course. Um, you've all heard about Atticott before. He is the villain slash not super great guy in my story, Bogle that I'm working on. Um, I love Atticott. He is great. He's a jackass, um, but I love him. We all have characters like that, right? Where you're like, they are a bitch and they're so mean and I cannot believe that they exist this way and that they just do these things and wow, they're just so awful, but they're my baby and I love them. It's just, it's just a thing. It's just a thing we do. Um, they're our darlings. They're all, they are all our darlings. With Attica, I knew exactly what the trait or the flaw was when I went into it, and it was incredibly vital to the story, to the plot, and to his own downfall. So I know exactly what he's planning, what his intentions are, and what he wants to accomplish, what his kind of main goal is throughout this whole book. That is a huge benefit over what happened with Leo, where I said, I don't know what where I didn't even know that that was something I needed to consider or kind of look for. And then I had to go back and then had to find it. The fortunate thing is that I had built those, like that trait into a scenes, like without knowing about it. Um, so I, there's not much kind of, I have to pick up and start over from, but I still didn't have that kind of concrete idea when I started. And now, you know, it has made me a little bit reshape Leo, how he interacts with people, what I think about him. Um, but with Atticott, I knew from the jump what this dude was about. Like, I knew it. Like, I went into the story knowing exactly what I needed him to do, what he wanted to do, everything. So it's a lot easier to build in and a lot easier to string all together. With knowing what you want your character to do from the jump, uh, you just then have to kind of find the best and appropriate spots. Again, you do not have to write entire scenes about this character's reveal. Um, so we find out in the end, Atticott has wanted to sleep with our main character, Alma, for quite a long time. Uh, and there's a lot of problems with that. Um, I don't want to get into them, but I'll just tell you it's a little taboo um, and just not super great. Um, kind of slimy a little bit. Uh, so I had to find ways to put that into the scenes. Not necessarily um, 
like the slimy feeling or just him being disgusting. Um, but him pursuing that and wanting that. I had to find places to put that in there. I had to find places for him to be charming and cavalier. You know, I needed to find ways for him to manipulate the situation, manipulate Alma enough for her to want to be with him, which is a little tricky. Um, again, I, you don't, you don't always have to write full scenes about things. I have had to, <laughs> um, because I just need to kind of establish at least where they are in that process and show what this motivation or want looks like to him and kind of makes him do, if that makes sense. I also need it because uh, I need people to see that at the end when he kisses her, I want them to know this has been coming. This is something that has been on the war path. Like this has, we've, we've known, we've been new, okay? Um, the real reveal, of course, is um, that he's not as completely charming and lovely as he might seem. In fact, being rejected by Alma uh, actually hurts him a lot. Aw, baby. But what does he do when he gets hurt? And he just decides to maybe try to throw her off of a building uh, or down a couple flights of stairs is a better term. So, like, not anything big, right? Nothing big at all. So, yeah, I had to find ways to make that appropriate. Make that the reveal. So, there's two kind of separate things going. One of them, of course, is going to be that volatile anger um, and that does not disregard the fact that, you know, being rejected or not appreciated or not getting the attention he wants or not having the right power in the situation that he thinks he should have makes him angry. That is what I needed to kind of find to weave through as well. So again, I have to find the best or most appropriate spots for this. This is not something, I don't know how many times I'm going to say this, that I felt the need to write entire scenes about, but it is something that I can put into scenes that already exist. So that way it's not overpowering. It's not obvious, uh, but it is something that, you know, when you look at it, you can kind of see where that was coming from. So I guess, so again, small, less obvious ways to kind of indicate that he's got that anger, that he, you know, wants things to go his way and he wants people to do exactly what he wants to do. Um, so for example, there is a scene where, um, one of my characters, Elizabeth, is apologizing to Alma for hurting her, I don't say hurting her feelings, it sounds very trivial, but she's apologizing to Alma for kind of, I guess, airing her dirty laundry in front of everybody and making a, a disgusting, what is, what Atticott says, a disgusting, foul, disgraceful accusation, um, about he and Alma sleeping together. So Elizabeth has to apologize to Alma and Atticott. She only really apologizes to Alma. Like she doesn't really, the apology is directed at Alma and kind of half directed at Atticott. And Alma accepts, she's like, yeah, okay, fine, whatever, let's just get this over with. Um, but Atticott, however, is like, well, it's still missing some stuff. You're, you're not, I'm not getting the full truth. I'm not getting what I wanted. Uh, and Elizabeth is not, gonna give him what he wants because she doesn't think she should apologize to him she doesn't you know what, what, why would she apologize to him this is something she said about Alma directly to Alma it was an insult flung at Alma not something that should concern Atticott so he needs to keep out of it uh, so 
Atticott, uh resorts to intimidating her a little bit. Uh, not, I'm trying to think of the best way to explain. He knows her father and he says, if you don't give me the proper apology that I think I deserve, uh, I will call your father and he will take you out of this uh, environment and you will go home. How do you feel about that? And she's like, okay, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very, very sorry, sir. Please forgive me. Uh, so that is one of the main ways I've been able to kind of thread that manipulative, um, egotistical man into the characterization of this charming Avery Atticott that I have otherwise built. Is finding those scenes where he is uh, able to use his you know, manipulative nature to get what he wants or when he's not getting what he wants and he starts to kind of break down and uh, not be as charming and sweet as most people, <laughs> most people would like. Um, so those are the kind of flaws, traits that I'm looking, that I knew going into that I'm trying to highlight throughout the whole time, that he's a little bit power hungry and that he likes younger women. Um, so I'm trying to kind of thread those through as best as I can. That was done, again, by like writing appropriate scenes that benefit that um, without making it too crazy obvious, but also looking at places where I can kind of thread those in. I hope those make sense as I'm sitting here. I'm not 100% sure if they do. I hope they do. <laughs> um, that's pretty much everything. Um, this is a lot shorter than I think any other episode I've ever been, so it feels a little weird. Um, but basically, consistent traits are important, whether it's just smaller traits or you're building up to something. We've got to see where that comes from. So we've got to see that, you know, hubris defining characteristic throughout the rest of the story before anyone jumps on me. I know hubris is not a defining characteristic. There was a comma in between those in my brain, and it did not translate into my words that I spoke. Uh, we've got to see that hubris or that defining characteristic throughout the entire story. Even if it's just a little bit. Even if it doesn't appear in a couple scenes, totally fine. We just got to see it. We've got to see where it comes from, where it is, and that they have it. Can't just be sprung on us. Just like in Reveal, we've got to see little traces of it throughout. You've got to be able to build in, you know, that villainous nature or that, um, want that desire throughout the rest of the story we've got to see where it comes from this is also important if you're writing queer characters we don't just bring a queer character or a queer relationship in a book don't just do it don't just say they're gay they're dating look they're dating uh no don't do that please please avoid that um i there is a book that i love i will not name names um and two characters that I love find out are queer in a book they're dating um they're lesbians it's great uh but there's no lead up to it for either of them literally at all which you know it's fine I guess but it sucks <laughs> it felt very like a second thought and like it was an added thing um and in the theater it would probably be called a deus ex machina or god in the machine which is typically like at the end all be all when you don't know how Greek mythology, Greek tragedies, when they didn't know how a story would wrap up, a god would come down from the sky and be like, here, I fixed all your problems, have fun. And everyone would be like, thanks. That's kind of what it feels like, like an afterthought. Like you didn't know how to either put a queer character in or you thought, mm, there's a lot of straight people in here. I should add a queer character. That, that, that's what it feels like. So avoid that. 
for A, queer characters, B, any other kind of review, any other kind of trait, because it's going to feel like a second thought. If at the end of the book, you know, Atticott just made a move on Alma and then tried to throw her down the five flights of stairs um, without any kind of lead up to it, it would feel weird. Of course, there does have to be that lead up with him wanting to make a move on her. But if there was, if it felt, if that out of character moment where he says, you know what, you don't want to marry me, you don't even want to sleep with me, so I... I'm going to take matters into my own hands and hurt you so you either A, don't tell anyone about this, or B, regret your decision. If, if I had no, if there is no lead up to that, then it will feel like I've just said, okay, this is the villain. This is the dude. This is the bad guy. And now we are all going to go with it. And he is going to be the ultimate bad guy. It would feel like a second thought, like, nah, here we go. Um, so there's got to be that lead up. You have to tie all of that together. You do not want a trait or reveal, um, a defining moment, anything like that to feel like a second thought. I'm glad that I had that thought about queer characters because that really encapsulated what I was trying to talk about the whole time. <laughs> if you do not give any lead up to that moment or that thing that makes your characters do what they do or that want that they have or that moment where they finally act on this energy or this feeling they've had forever if you do not give any kind of lead up that it is there and that it exists even if it is three quick short again glimmers or peaks into that it will feel like a second thought and it will feel canned uh, and it'll just feel like you said, I needed this, and I need to have something like this in the story. I'll just add it. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> it's kind of it. It'll feel, I'm trying to think of a really good example. Um, I know there's probably an example with papers, like actual like term papers that you write, where, you know, you just introduce a new idea or main topic, and it just feels out of the field, and like there's no lead up to it. You don't want that to happen. You want it to, even if you didn't, you want your story to seem like you had it all laid out before you ever started writing. Whether that is good editing or you did have it planned out, you don't want it to feel like you let something slip through the cracks. Because your readers will be mad. And you might not, you might, that's just not a good thing a writer should do. Uh, so yeah, I think that's everything. I've rambled quite a bit. I think I do that every week. It's my trademark, TMTM Rambling Queen. Um, but thank you guys for joining me. I hope that this all made sense. I, I say that every freaking week. If you can't tell, I have <laughs> zero self-esteem. Uh, if it did not make sense, please let me know on the on Instagram at the right podcast or in an email. Rightpodcast at gmail.com is how you can send those. Uh, if you know me, you can also just like shoot me a text. That's fine as well. Um, I hope you are all doing well. I hope that whatever writing project you are working on is going well. Uh, I mentioned a while ago that my friend was starting a new story. She has not written in forever. She was like, I'm going to write a new thing. And she sent me her draft the other day. And I read it and it's 20 whole pages and will probably be double that um, pretty soon. And I got to give feedback, give notes, which I love. I love doing that. It was great. 
I felt kind of bad because I'm a note I'm a note lever. I love to leave notes on stuff, even if it's like, haha, very good dialogue. Um, or just like switch these words. I love to leave notes. And there were so many on that Google Doc, y'all. I felt so bad. <laughs> um, but I got to read that. So that was good. And then uh, another friend of mine is working on a horror novel and he sent me the outline. Um, and I got to look at that. Uh, I didn't have any feedback because, you know, an outline, it's kind of hard to get feedback on, but I had some questions that I left him with, um, which was awesome. I don't, I don't outline. I think I've mentioned this before. I'm not an outliner. That just it doesn't click with me. Um, but I liked the outline he was using. He said he just found it on Pinterest. Looks like Coolio. Pinterest has got lots of cool writing stuff. Um, but it was awesome. It was like the opening scene and had different kind of polarity shifts in there that contribute to the plot. So he had the whole plot laid out, even though it just at the beginning and at first glance with just the questions would look like random questions that would he would answer and they would kind of fit and kind of help with the plot. But this was like a full fledged plot, which was lit and it was spooky. It was so spooky. Um, so I super, super enjoyed that. Uh, I guess I could talk about other writing news. I feel like that's important. I feel like I should say what I'm working on, um, what I'm doing. I actually very recently, um, and by recently I mean like an hour ago, um, started a like a different version of a thing I've been writing for a while. It, that I hope that makes sense. <laughs> I should trademark that. Honestly, that should be the byline for the show. I hope that makes sense. Um, <laughs> But I decided, I was like, well, I want to write this, but I, let me try it in a play. And I kind of like it so far. You know what? It's going good. I'm like eight pages in uh, and it's going pretty good. I have no clue um, how it's all going to fit together, what the real plot is, but I know what my characters want, what they need. And that is what I'm going to go off of. I have also finished four chapters of Bogle that big-ass novel that I'm writing with Atticott in it, so I am very proud. I am patting myself on the back. Uh, I had said at the beginning of April I wanted to finish three more chapters, even if I had already started them and just kind of wrapped them up, uh, and for a while it was looking like I wasn't going to do that, and then uh, one day I was like, oh wait, I finished this one, and the next day I was like, oh, I finished this one, and I thought, well, two's not bad, and then the other day I was looking through. And I said, oh wait, this one's already done. And so I moved it to the finished chapters uh, folder I have in my Bogle folder. And so I have four chapters written and I have two and three started. Um, three is expansive so far. Um, and I just have to figure out how it begins, how it ends. Um, it's, it, it's a lot. Bogle is set in a girls boarding school. And I'm trying to figure out if my lead is going to uh, like pay attention in all of her classes and if I have to write all of those or if she just pays attention in a couple, like what does she do? So yeah, that's a fun thing to kind of dissect, kind of discuss. Um, I also finished another draft for a story that I will be submitting to a literary magazine that my friend is working on, which is super exciting. They are accepting submissions through May the 5th for their very first ever, literally ever, edition newsletter type thing and I'm kind of excited about it TBH uh, I have submitted to a research journal but I've never submitted to a uh, like a creative journal so it's a little nerve-wracking 
um, but I'm just kind of stoked for it, honestly. Uh, so if you want to learn more, if you want to keep up to date with the journal, or if you want to submit yourself, uh, the journal is called Antonym, and you can find them at Antonym underscore lit on Instagram. The Again, you have to submit by May the 5th. Uh, I don't think the process is too, too difficult. And my friend who's working on the journal said that they're kind of flexible with page limits as well. So if you've written something or, you know, have done anything creative, you can go on and submit to it. And that would be cool. We can be submit buddies. We can work on stuff together. Yay. <laughs> um, so that's kind of the update. I hope you guys are doing well. I hope your creative endeavors are doing well. If they're not going well, if you are feeling kind of down, it's okay. There's a whole pandemic going on. The world is in chaos. It's okay. Give yourself a break. Give yourself some love. It is okay that you maybe can't find the motivation to write right now or that ideas just aren't coming like they used to. There's a whole pandemic. Shit's kind of crazy. It's okay. Be gentle on yourself. You're still doing good. I still think that you're doing good. And if you need any words of encouragement, let me know. I will happily be your mom friend for as long as you need me to be. Thank you guys so, so much for joining me. Uh, this ended up being about average uh, episode length, which is great. Um, <laughs> consistent queen. Uh, I look forward to joining y'all next week and hearing from y'all on the Instagrams. Um, I hope you guys are all, again, happy and healthy and safe and doing well. And I will talk to y'all soon. Bye, everybody.